you by listeners like you thanks for using the tomes amazon and dnd classics affiliate links hi i'm steve winter uh, one of the co-authors of the horde of the dragon queen and the rise of tiamat i'm very pleased to be with the tome show welcome to the tome a dnd news reviews and interview show i'm your tome host tracy hurley and I'm Jeff Greiner, and in this episode, number 244, we're going to climb into the caldera of the Well of Dragons while armies clash around us, and a god crawls out of a portal one head at a time to devour the world, as we review Rise of Tiamat, the second adventure in the inaugural storyline of the fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons. And for these introductory reviews, we have gathered together a team of the greatest superheroes from across the D&D reviewing universe. A virtual Justice League of delving into dungeons. Why dungeons? Why? The Avengers <laughs> of slaying dragons. Our team includes, from the round table, the Flash of the team, James Introcaso. Woohoo! The Flash! I'm so glad I'm not Aquaman. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and following him up is the man behind Sly Flourish, the Hulk of DMing, Mike Shea. The whole time I'm like, oh, please don't let me be the Hulk. <laughs> See, somehow I knew oh, you would love that man. one. <laughs> like, please, not the Hulk, not the thing. <laughs> and lastly, but not leastly, we have our editor and man behind RPG Musings. He's clearly our Batman, Sam Dillon. I don't get any superpower. I just get lots of money. Oh, wait. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> and a lair. You forgot a lair. Oh, yes. And a lair. He's also the master and a man strategist. Servant. World's greatest detective. Can I detective? just have the manservant? I could, that, my wife would love that if I, we had a manservant and a Batmobile. That would be awesome. You know, actually, if you, if you want to look at this whole thing realistically, I'm Batman and you're Alfred. I thought we were doing Marvel. It's time to end these shenanigans and get into it. Listeners, be warned. We can't do a good review of an adventure without discussing what's in the adventure. So, this is your spoiler warning. We will be discussing NPCs, story, and more. You have been warned. Also, full disclosure, who got this book for free from Watsy like I did? I did. Not me. Not me. Nope. Was the story of The Rise of Tiamat, Sam Dillon? The story is uh, carrying on from Horde of the Dragon Queen, although it's fair to note that you don't technically have had to play Horde of the Dragon Queen to play this one. Although it helps. They are, 
it helps because you know more of the storyline and your players will be more invested, blah, blah, blah. But the storyline is that the cult of the dragon, those dastardly villains, are still trying to raise Tiamat out of the Nine Hells and let her manifest on the material plane and take over the world. And in order to do that, they are still trying to amass a horde of good um, loot and also perform some rituals and uh, end up causing a lot of havoc. And your job as the brave, stalwart, heroic party of adventurers is to attend a few discussions between very powerful people in Waterdeep and try to gain everyone's favor and then run some small missions and get more allies and more allies and more allies so that when you get to the final battle at the end, you have a humongous force uh, so that you can defeat the cult and stop the ritual and Tiamat will not be able to come to this plane. The- Beautiful. So, should we pick up pick apart the little bits or should we go broad picture here? Like, what do we like? Uh, so, I really liked uh, a lot of the... I think when you get into the details of, like, what you're doing in these missions and the way things are laid out, uh, for the most part, I really liked... The like challenges that are set forth and that sort of thing. Um, you know, there there were a few things. There were some m- minor tweaks that I would make that I think would really fix the story of the adventure. Uh, but uh, for the most part, like I thought, like the maze. There's this cool maze hedge maze sequence that you go through. That's really cool. And so that sort of thing of like, oh, the details that they've put in here and the the dungeon crawls and sort of. The way different negotiations work, I thought all of that was really cool and fun and engaging. So I think as a playable adventure, like the playability of this thing seems like it's really, really fun when you're in there and you're doing it. Yeah, I, I found um, a lot of the, the locations and, and uh, missions that you go on or whatever uh, of this to be um, – in some cases, significantly more interesting than what we saw in Horde of the Dragon Queen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's the, less the, of the, in, the endless slog of, of dungeon mm-hmm. to, to hack through, you know? The environments were evocative. Yeah. 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 And the NPCs, you know, there's a lot of negotiation that has to go on and a lot of uh, uh, actual, you know, consequential role playing, you know, rather than yes. inconsequential stuff that just ends in a fight. Um, that has to happen and it turns out that they do a really good job of um giving the npcs great motivations even in the sort of little small scenes where you know because of course in the council chamber when you're meeting with all the eight representatives of all the powerful factions or whatever yeah all those people have really strong motivations but even in the sort of smaller areas like when you're when you're trying to capture verum and he has been Here's spoilers, right? He has been um, captured by the Yuan-Ti, and the one leader of the Yuan-Ti is, like, you know, threatening to kill him, and you can negotiate with her to get him alive. Yeah. Um, And there's a lot of situations like that. There's a lot of situations like that, but they really give the – it's not just, oh, she's holding a knife to his throat, and there you go. It's like it tells about what her motivations are and what Mm -hmm. kind of deal she'll make. To make everybody go away and stop causing her problems. Well, the whole introduction of the whole adventure is is just several pages describing factions and people and and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You know, b- b- fleshing out a whole sort of 
um, world here for you. I mean, it's clearly not a whole world, right? But it's it's this whole dynamic between these these people and what's going on that's going to play into the both the council and understanding the bad guys and all that kind of stuff, you know? Well, right. and I also felt, because I haven't run it yet, uh, but it did feel like it allowed for a lot more shades of gray hmm. in, in the venture than I sometimes see, mm-hmm. which I, I like, particularly because uh, doing X could give you favor with one group, but make the other group not like you as much. So. Right. <clears throat> Although you still, the only people at the council... Uh, really represented are basically good groups. So I mean, right. for the I mean, it's not like you know because the, they have the different factions, and I kind of because of the factions, I expected one of the representatives at the council to be the Zinterim. And there's kind of somebody hanging around who's associated with the Zinterim, but they're not really one of the factions. You know, yeah. So Thay gets involved, but yeah. they're not exactly a faction. Exactly. I mean, they're not a faction that's sitting at the with the you know with Waterdeep, the but they're they're involved. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's those shades of gray that Tracy was talking about, right? Is that you can bring in all these, you know, well, the enemy of my enemy. Yeah, right. You know? I mean, like, you know, you, you know you're in a bad state when the red wizards are the good guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you can actually well, pu- you can actually pull in other members of the cult, right, to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, we only make Dracoliches. We're not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they also have some some pretty interesting other creatures other than, like, the sort of uh, NPCs that you deal with in a role playing way, uh, oh, not that you can't role play with these, but um, they ha- they really make a great you know the in chapter two they have those ice hunters that are protecting the the old white death's uh, lair and that's a really cool the way they describe that is very it has a lot of very I mean they're just humans but there's a lot of different cultural things that they describe that make that group really distinct. And then when you continue on that particular assignment, you know, there's like these ice toads that have this really sort of interesting way that they're gathering all this knowledge and and they would have, you know, this uh, – whatever they have created would be of great interest to these other groups. And it's really interesting how you can like deal with their leader who happens to be – you know, smart. really in a really interesting, really smart per, um, ice toad, and then like the animated tiles in the next chapter, and then there's like some funny parts where like the bearded devils that were left in the dining hall, like sitting around a table, and you walk in the room, and they'll <laughs> they'll just like sit there and talk to you until you do the one thing that they're supposed to not allow, and then they'll you know beat your skull in. But you know, it's written. You know, it just makes it kind of a funny scene. Like you walk in, it's like, hey, there's a bunch of bearded devils there. Oh, let's talk to them. I guess. You know, but it's pretty funny. It's just an interesting setup the way. So they did some of that kind of thing. Well, you can actually you can actually ally with devils. That's one of the other you know, right. shades yeah. of gray. One other interesting thing about it is the, the the adventure overall feels a lot less linear than the previous. You know, it feels like mm-hmm. there's these sort of big chapter, you know, big breaks where things happen, and then you know you have two or three different directions you can go, and you can pick those two or three, and then once you're done with those. Then assassins come and kick your ass, and then you go back to Waterdeep and have some meetings again. Well, and that that's an interesting uh, thing that you bring up, and that's one of the the, the more specific uh, things I wanted to sort of discuss here is the formatting of the book is set up to to be very much sandboxy, mm-hmm. uh, and yet there's this very sort of linear progression. You know, it's you you go to this council of Waterdeep, and then you're given these two missions, and then you do those two missions, and you come back. And there's this other Council of Waterdeep, and then there's two more missions. And in between 
each of these, you know, throw in one of these these uh, assassin att- assassination attempts against the PCs. Uh, and so while it's sandboxish, there's also a very sort of suggested linear format to the whole thing. That, it's a that is, railroad. That is, it's not even suggested. It's actually pretty linear. Well, yes, the way it is. I mean, the way it is know. listed here yeah. is. But well, and see, I, I look at it and I say this thing, This is the kind of thing that's perfect for Mike Shea. Well, right? it's uh, you know, we can go that far. <laughs> well, I don't know, per- <laughs> but, but it gives you the mo- it gives you the, the the loose framework and the modules that you know Mike Shea can play with to, to right. move yeah, around kind and put of, where but he it's, wants. It's, it's more like comparing you know to to go to a video game reference. If you compare uh, Dragon Age Origins to Skyrim, right? Mm-hmm. Dragon Age kind of says you have to go to these three places. You can go in any order you want, but you're not going to get to place four, five, and six until you do one, two, and three. Right. Where Skyrim, you go wherever the hell you want. Right, right. No, that's so this one it's 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 linear, but it's got a lot of forks. Yeah, and people and will, people will hear this a little bit more. I talked about I talked to Steve Winter last week, and they'll that, this will, that will, interview will go on at the end of this episode. And, and and he talked a little bit about that. And, and originally, the apparently the adventure was written very 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 sandbox. Hmm. And then they sent it to Watsi, and they and Watsi had it play tested, and the play testing feedback came up back as they need more structure. Yeah, and yeah. so they've sort of added in some linearness to it, which is why it's formatted like like a sandbox adventure, but but it, it, it but it has sort of the hidden railroad going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know Steve's response to to that because because I think it's an interesting critique. I mean, on one hand, you got to flip all over the place to find the sections you need when really there's a linear story going on. Why not just put it in order? Um, but on the other hand, to his mind, well, great. Now you have the option, right? If you need the structure, follow that format. If you don't need the, the structure, you've got a linear adventure. Just take that, take that outline away and put it in whatever order you want. So, mm-hmm. and I think what they keep trying to do, and, and they haven't, we haven't gotten there yet, is to try to create, like, basically, I feel like they should separate out the playbook because I wrote about this uh, on my blog. Uh, like this is how you, you could run the adventure more linearly while still being having a product that you can read through as if it's a book, uh, like more like a book, more mm-hmm. like a story that's unfolding as you read it. Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who really want the books to go more to the I had fun just reading the book part, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it makes it hard to actually run it at the table, and then that's where the structure comes in. And I feel like they they haven't come up with it quite yet. The scorecard starts to do it a little bit. But just coming up with a way of adding structure that isn't a linear path through an adventure. Hmm. Well, and and this even has. Uh, I mean, if if you're going to have the suggested format, then it's actually somewhat, I imagine, difficult to use because you're flipping back and forth to things all the time. It's like, oh yeah, I completely forgot about throwing in this assassination attempt here, and now I got right. now right. I got two of them unused, and I got to figure out a way to squeeze them in or. Um, you know, or you can just leave those assassination attempts out because of Ray's dead. Sure. Yeah. And, well, and 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 in terms of, in terms of being interesting, you can tell how me. I feel about those yeah. assassination Could, attempts. Couldn't you leave pretty much every encounter out because of Ray's? Well, death? that's my major problem with it. Is my my group honestly after Horde of the Dragon Queen? They know they're going to the Well of Dragons. They're just going to go to the freaking Well of Dragons. They're not going to horse around with all this crap in between. Mm. Well, yeah. So this, this. Well, so, so this. One, your, your group's gonna die then. <laughs> they don't have yeah, the army might, behind them. You know what? They just keep making new characters until they get, got some that got powerful enough and wore down the cult of the dragon. I mean, honestly, that's what my group would do. No, they no, would I, just. I'd say at that point they just lose. You know. 
<laughs> well, but, and it's uh, funny. that brings up a, a really rough point with the with the plot. But there's there's one thing about the structure that I think is really interesting, which is <laughs> why on page thirty eight is there a chapter that is episodes three and four? <laughs> yes, right. Like every other book, it's been one episode per chapter. What what is a chapter that has two episodes? Well, and so. Because you can do them in either order. That's the thing. Well, yes, and but I can do other parts. And it's sort of so. So it's sort of like uh, some of the other sections, right? There's, for example, the the assassination attempt. Uh, There's three of those. Yeah, but that's not episodes seven, eight, and nine. No, it's not. But they could have done it that way. And 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 these are basically the same sort of thing. They're both you attempting to assassinate one of the worm speakers. And so they just uh, – yeah, you're right. They, it probably should have been separated I bet there's out. another story here. <laughs> Something happened in development. Well, this gets to one of, one, of, yeah. Yeah, one of my one, – one so I have a list of – you know how I do this, right? I have a list of 11 things I like and eight <laughs> things I disliked. And one of the things that I dislike is the fact that it feels like it really needs about 50 or 60 more pages to give it what they wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. What would, what would those pages contain? More of the things that could be done if it was a more sandboxy adventure, more discussion about, you know, how to actually work in the assassination and not and not make it worthless, not the three assassination attempts and not make them worthless because of Ray's dead or more of those playbook you know, sort of things that Tracy was talking about. Right, exactly. Uh, I can you, I can easily fill fifty more pages in this book. Yeah, and it's funny, I really would have liked more pages in the, I think everything about this, right, like the little details and everything you were talking about, Sam, about the way the tribes interact and and the way you can interact with these people are great. And then when you get to that final chapter about the last battle, uh, it's Mm -hmm. really confusing to me about which enemies are where and who's doing what and how you should be. You know what I mean? It feels that part feels very rushed. Let me break it down for you. Large war. Nope. (laughs) That's the entire time building up all of this earned, you know, respect and reputation so we can get all these people to come and have this war. That's what you could use 30 of those extra 50 pages on was how to adjudicate this humongous war scene that honestly, my players are going to be mad that they don't get to have anything to do with that that they're supposed to sneak into the temple i mean they'll still want to sneak into the temple and do that part too but they're going to want to be able to do things out where the war zone is too mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and, and, and here's, here's probably my biggest um critique of the entire adventure uh and i think it's the thing i would have to work on to to really be happy with it um none of it even matters <laughs> you know, you can gather, you can succeed at every single mission, or fail at every single mission, and the final, in, the final end of the, the that final big battle it plays out exactly the same. Even if we go right back to the the sort of beginning of that, this the council scorecard I think is a fantastic idea. I think it's part of an evolution of trying to get this sort of thing to work. But did you count the number of pluses on each of those lines that are possible for you to get for each of the people versus the number of minuses you could possibly oh, yeah. get? It's almost it's almost impossible to fail this thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the end, it doesn't even matter, no matter right. what. Right, because you, you're basically told, here's all the assets that the cult has. Here's all the potential assets that, that the players might have arranged. There's already more of the cult assets than there are p- player assets, 
and and those are just potential player assets. Um, you know, and, and then ultimately it's like, okay, well, you can assign, you know, who's taking care of what? Like, you know, the metallic dragons would, would obviously take care of the chromatic dragons, but who's going to do this and who's going to do that? And here's what you could do with the interim assassins. And, and it's all these interesting things. And then ultimately it's like, and then completely ignore all of that because your players are just going to sneak in, do their thing. And what happens with the larger battle and the larger war doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. See, it's funny. I, I think that. Right, we're talking about that's where they could have used more pages, mm-hmm. and I, I so I disagree that it, it doesn't matter. I think it does matter in Steve Winter's mind, and I think he thinks like, oh, by the time you've gotten here, you'll be able to figure out what to do. And so, in the hands of an experienced DM, all of those consequences that have happened throughout the adventure should matter right and you should be thinking about like oh okay well if they don't assign anybody to take care of this group the hostages will be sacrificed and tiamat's going to be a lot stronger but none of that is spelled out right Mm -hmm. for the players beforehand like these are the things that need to happen for tiamat to arise so figure out how to disrupt them which I think if that's spelled out for your players, those things matter a well, lot more. And going back even for, even earlier than that, there's there's whole missions that, that don't matter at all because like the like the death of the Wormspeaker ones. It's like, hey, in, in both of those episodes in one chapter that as Mike pointed out, um, you've got two situations where you find out, hey, there's a Wormspeaker running around in the world. If we can kill this guy and get his mask, that's going to seriously yeah. disrupt what they're trying right. to do. And in both cases, it is impossible to actually get the mask. Not in, not in in both in all or, right because you can't get resmeres cha- either right yeah. well here's the thing the other one is chapter 7 you do get the mask and then whoops it's a fake well right right darn yeah so this, Even this actually the dragon hits on. who you fought at the end of that episode did not realize it was a fake mm-hmm. really like really right it's been in his possession he's a big mage yeah so this actually hits on something the funny thing is i just finished running dragon spear castle and dragon and i think we talked about this in the review of dragon spear castle and it's this weird sort of you know, like you can see how they got there, but then you can see that you can very easily paint yourself into a corner of like, well, I want to have an adventure, and in that adventure, there's you know, Voldemort's whatever seven Horcruxes, and in order to destroy Voldemort, I need all the Horcruxes. But if I screw up and I don't get one of them, then Voldemort's alive and we all die. If I get all of them, then Voldemort's dead and we're all saved. So like, you know, it's a binary thing. You have to either get all of them or you or you're hosed. Right. But this is where this is where they could have designed, I think, a little bit more creatively where it wasn't a binary. Right. Like they could have had it where and and they kind of have something written in there about Tiamat getting weaker if you have masks. But I don't know how the hell you'd ever get them. Well, well, here's the thing about that fake mask thing. Even the fake mask when it sort of has this little nugget of something that could be golden, like it says something about, oh, when the Council of Waterdeep discovers that the mask is fake, it starts all of these like weird conjectures and people start getting paranoid and like they think, oh, is there a spy in the council or, you know, in the council chamber or whatever. But then that's it. It's like one sentence well, but, no, but, but it's I those kinds of things that can spiral in an adventure into something really interesting and i could just really see my players going completely paranoid and and discussing mm-hmm. it and debating it and fighting over it for two hours and having a blast and i can just those are my favorite moments as a dm because i can throw out two lines like that and just sit back and watch the chaos you know the problem with that is that by that point your your group has already failed to get two other masks so, like, they're just going to be like, you know, they're going to totally fall into the meta of this adventure and be like, so basically we're never getting We're a never going to mask, yeah. <laughs> right? so like, stop, if I, stop if chasing, if stop I ever have a quest them. that's get a mask, I'm going to give you the finger because I know we're right. never going to get it. Right. It's, it's funny because uh, for me, so, so I was annoyed by, uh, sorry, Mario, your mask is in another castle, too, right. when I was going through this. Yeah. Um, 
But I, I think there's a really simple fix that can make this adventure awesome, which is they do give you ideas of, like, this is how you would weaken Tiamat if you got some masks. Um, so I say just make those masks real. Like, yeah. make those make the worm speaker have them. Have They have them in the encounter. The statistics are there. Make the fights harder. And then the players get them, and that mission actually means something and means a lot more. And it's a really simple fix. And then the other thing I would do is, um, you know, I would make Raise Dead and Resurrection spells a lot harder to come by. Yeah. You know, the, the players have to come up with those resources on their own if they want to use those. Or maybe you want some Although, alternate spells, you know, bigger, whatever cost, it is. right? Yeah, yeah. Or every time you die, you you have a death saving fail permanently marked on your sheet and you can only come back three times. Something like that, you know? I think those um, are great ideas, but they're in direct opposition to what's written in the actual in adventure. The well, and in the rules. No, not even in the rules, in the adventure. Yeah. It sure. says, oh, it's okay if they die. Don't be afraid to kill them. You're just going to do raise dead anyway. Well, and, and so the hard part, right, and you can see that they kind of paint themselves into a corner. And, and this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like you can read a lot of problems that DMs typically have. And one of them is like the bad guy who only ever sends just enough guys to make it a challenging fight but not enough to actually win. <laughs> right? And it's like if the cult of the right, you know what? You're getting five ancient red dragons on you. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Right? Because if I'm if I'm Let's the head just of the, cult of the, dragon, the butt right I've now. got right, I've got right. Like these guys sound like a pain in the ass. I'm gonna go ahead and send like twelve people. I, I knew a um, uh, an army colonel and he told me about he was a, a real life army colonel that was in um, Haiti. And they were going after, like, Haitian gangsters, right? And they had this, this house that had, like, six Haitian gangsters who were armed with, like, AK-47s and pistols. He brought three tanks and 300 men, <laughs> right? And, and he said, like, we, don't, we don't play fair, right? There's, you know, we, want, we, want to, we don't want to play fair, right? We, we want an overwhelming force. And guess what? No shot was fired. <laughs> right. And it's the same idea. Like if the cult of the dragon got wind that there's these adventurers who are pains in the asses, they're going to send an overwhelming force to kill them. They and they do right in the adventure. They say that like you know, first one is you know kind of a screw up. The second one should be challenging. And the third one you're going to die, and you're like, okay, well that makes sense from a story perspective. But then that kind of sucks from a game, mm-hmm. right? Like you know, it might it might be realistic, but it's sure not fun. Right, so then yeah. they they paint themselves out of that by saying, yeah, well you can always get a raised dead. Right now, you know, shoot, you, we had to have a raised dead already in the in the second session of Horde of the Dragon Queens. <laughs> We've had two character deaths in two sessions. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, yeah. these are these are hard. Like these are really really hard adventures. Um, well, uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, on one hand, when it, when this adventure gets hard, it gets really hard. But look at the the monster stats in the back. Like, I'll be really interested to see if the flat math works because the CR or, or the the level or whatever. Uh, of most of the NPCs and creatures are significantly lower than where the PCs are. Sure. Kind of agree. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see uh, which, you know, which battles are challenging, which ones are total cakewalks. Mm -hmm. I I think though, I have to disagree with you, James. I don't think these are hard adventures. I think the problem is what we talked about actually earlier and what you said that because I haven't listened to Steve Winter's interview, but what you said about them sort of making it more like a intended to be more like a sandbox kind of thing and basically being told you need to make it more linear. It needs more structure. That completely explains to me all of the problems I have with this adventure mm-hmm. because it's actually not that hard because this is like somebody's home campaign. Like, well, I have this yes. big villain and here's what they're doing. And I'm, and I want my, you know, my players are going to be, 
playing in this world. And so it's not going to have to be, it's not going to feel linear to them necessarily, as long as things make sense that it went A, then B, then C, then D. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas this book, you know, I'm reading it from the outsider's perspective and reading it, trying to figure out how I would fit it into my game. And of course, it feels very linear to me because it's not rising organically from my game, right. which is one of the things that irritates me about when they throw in a really ni- nice little seed or nugget. Like they talk about the Arcane Brotherhood, but I get no information about that, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and they talk true. about Macath and, and how, oh, the Arcane Brotherhood and the Ice Toads and all these really cool things. But they're just tiny pieces, which means I have to do the work to fill those in. Which is fine, except then if I'm going to do that, I'm not going to buy a published piece of material. You know what I mean? Like it's. It brings up an interesting thing about adventure design, which is typically what I want when I'm when I'm buying an adventure is for somebody else to do the Mm -hmm. heavy lifting, right? Right. Like I I I want to have a toolbox that I can use, and I don't have to go and do a bunch of work. I can just come up with crazy ideas, and then I've got a book. You know, to support that. And honestly, so having run, I guess we're about halfway through the first one at this point and and reading through this one, I feel like I got a lot of that. Like, yeah, I don't I don't mind that there's some throwaway stuff like that. And I can go hit, you know, Wikipedia or, you know, the the, the Forgotten Realms wiki and figure out what the Arcane Brotherhood is. Um, So I don't know. The Arcane Brotherhood has played played a role pretty heavily in some of like Salvatore's novels. And so I I think some of that's a nod to to the Realms fans and all that. Yeah, I kind of feel like um, I feel like I'm re- I've been really hard on Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat, and I f- and I feel like they probably play much better than they read when I'm reading them. Yeah. and I say that because um, Murder in Baldur's Gate played much better than it read for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. It read interesting and it had some cool stuff but it was kind of like how is this all going to hang together and is it really going to work and their little scorecard thing didn't quite hold together as much as this one probably does and you know they were doing all these weird things but I could take pieces of that and the and the basic framework of that and I could put it anywhere and it would work for me this is not quite as fluid in terms of me taking it I it really is a a Forgotten Realms campaign. Well, and and I think it's... So so I have that problem, but I still think it would run much better than it reads to me, just because, you know, a campaign is fluid, and the written word is not fluid. Once it's down and published, you're not changing it. I thought of that same same concept when we were talking about how none, none of the missions really matter. Um, because it doesn't matter how many allies you you pull in or how many worm speakers you kill or whatever, right? It doesn't actually affect the 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 end the end sort of uh, combat. Uh, but at the same time, I realize, but from a player perspective, as long as the DM doesn't pull the curtain back and tell them that none of it mattered, then so far as they're concerned, Except, hey, they, they gathered together just enough of an army. To, well, there is that. There is know. that problem. But that's not true, though, because yeah. at the end, you're not actually playing through the war. See, if it, if it gave you well, advice on how to actually, pl- you know, structure the scene and rather than just read them a paragraph of description, actually do something to let them really get involved with it and, you know, see the, how the battle's going before they go to the infiltrate right. the temple. Or you get to decide where you right. want to send your Zinterim assassins. You know, do you want to send them after this one guy or do you want to send them after these? Yeah, yeah I, I think, and I think they sort of assume the results if you, if you do or don't. Yeah, I think they sort of I assume that, that after that this, you've gone through out. 15 levels of DMing that, that you just sort of fill in the, that, that flavor, you know? Well, and some groups are going to want it and some combat. aren't. Right, mass combat's not something that's so easy to just fill in. 
Oh, I mean, yeah, it is. I sure it is. Yeah. I like they just say it. giant yeah, battles are taking place all around you, but you're focused on your mission. Well, that's the description, <laughs> though. That's not that's not the mechanics of mass combat. I'm, I'm talking about no, I'm, I'm, and that's what I'm saying. I don't think you need the mechanics. I think a DM can just sort of say, and here's what's going on around you based on what they did do and whatever. And so suddenly it feels like to a DM who's got some experience, and I think that I think this whole adventure requires a DM with better. some experience. Uh, yeah. You know, to, oh, a, yeah. to a DM with experience, I think they can fill in those gaps and make it so that it feels like it mattered, even though we all know behind the, the curtain, it didn't really matter. Everything was going to play out this way regardless. You know? But to the players, it, it can still feel like it matters. Uh, and I have the, I have the, the long-standing um, unfortunate habit of, uh, of revealing such things you know, after the fact. You know? we'll, we'll ha- Why would you do that? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have the fight, and it's like, oh, yeah, that was great. And we'll, we're talking about the game afterwards, and it's like, oh, what about this, and what about that, and what about this? I'm like, oh, you know what? None of that really mattered. <laughs> but you know, it was fun in the meantime. You know? So yeah, because well, I'm dumb. I really like, I really like James, James's idea that make the masks matter. Yeah, I like it. And you know yeah. now now they have a reason to have to do all of it. A they could get one at the end of Horde, right? Mm-hmm. And, and instead of it you know magically disappearing the minute you have a chance to get it, and now there's actually a reason to go after these other ones. And maybe you can't get them all. Maybe as a DM you could actually make it hard for them to get them, and they can either get them or not. And each one of those could could affect Tiamat's uh, strength, right? Which is right. at the you know they have they already have a chart for what exactly happens to her, but the things that affect that are kind of weird, right? You know. Yeah. You know, it's it's affected if you cast earthquake on the Temple of Dragons. Well, you know, how about what instead you 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 and and what I would do. So this is this would be Mike Shea being a jerk. Like I I don't like the masks because they're really powerful and I don't want players to be powerful. Uh, so you know, I, you have a choice. You can keep the mask and not destroy it, but Tiamat will be powerful, or you can destroy the mask and weaken her. That's great. That's you know, awesome. So, so now they have to make a choice. Like uh-huh. it's really good. But so well, is she. And ultimately, if if and that makes a lot of sense, right? Because ultimately, if they keep the mask and are wearing it, they just brought the thing they need to the temple where they need it. Great, yeah. you've just right. helped them. You know, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, or make it, you know, make it evil. This thing yeah. wants Tiamat or to come calling. out. And it's it's constantly calling dragons of that type. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it also. Yeah. It gives consequences for death, right? If the cult does kill you on one yeah, of those big things, right. they take the masks back. Yeah, like. so that and that exactly right. So this is you know, and I keep harping on on um, uh, Dragonspear Castle, but it's the same sort of thing. Like I don't want to set up a situation where a bunch of dudes come and steal your magic, you know, MacGuffin that was that was key to the whole adventure working. Mm-hmm. Because then players know, like, oh, so we were hosed. I was always going to get rid of it. But the answer could be no. You can hang on to it. You know, and you might win, and and and, but they're going to keep sending guys after to try to get it. You know, what do you guys think about? Um, I I kind of feel like, and this is totally just, you know, this is one of the reasons why published modules are hard because, um, like groups are so different. But my group would be like, they would walk into the Council of Waterdeep, and they're not going to be bowing down to any of the people on that council. They're going to be saying, look, we're eighth-level characters. We've been doing all of these great things. I mean, they wouldn't use those words, but you know what I'm saying. Like, we've done all these great things for you you already, and now we have to earn your respect. Like, you should keep, you know... 
Although I did, what, actually, I was I was actually fairly impressed with the way they handled that because I thought that they gave they were I, I feel like the at the council they're they're pretty deferential to the PCs like the fact that they've been inv- invited into this council to help run the war uh, mm-hmm. as as mere eighth level PCs I, I mean I thought that the adventure sort of gave there's, them there's, uh, a good yeah. amount of respect. There's once or twice where there's like an NPC who's going to try you out. There's that druid who puts like a tree on herself. Yeah, you know, yeah, to see whether or not you're gonna get the tree off of her, and you're like, really? Like, then we have Fruland Mont, you know, not Fruland. <laughs> yeah. What's the name? Othar Froom, right? Like, you got to wrestle me to see if you're any good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was gonna um, say my my uh, my players should probably do it around level two. They'd expect to be just walking yeah. to the <laughs> right. So like level eight, just what do you mean? Yeah. We're just gonna replace you guys on this council? Right. Right. Yeah, they, my, my players honestly would be like, well, we're taking over the council. Why don't you all sit down and shut up and we're going to discuss what's going to happen. Yeah. All we're I'd all going to the Well of Dragons. That's what they would say. All I'd have to do is put some rat swarms inside that council and no one would go near it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I do feel like a lot of the adventure probably has a lot more pull to people who are Realms fans or have already know a lot of Realms lore. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I'm not a huge, I mean, I've, you know, I've been reading a lot of books about the realms since I was like 16, but I've never been like a realms fan, but all of this stuff is making me more of one. Like I'm really interested in all the stuff going along the sword coast. Like I'm playing, you know, I'm reading all the Salvador books and now I'm playing Neverwinter again because now I kind of know what the hell's going on there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is due to, I probably did these adventures like the, this one and the previous one because it's, they're so widespread. Like they're, you know, they go all the way. You know, all the way mm. from the south to the north. So to bring this back to the review, I might feel that way if there was a map in the book. Yeah, where's uh, the map? Yeah, it's in Horde of the Dragon Queen. Horde, yeah. oh, see, I was gonna say, does Horde actually cover all the places that are in here? Nah, I don't think mm. the white. St- the yeah, I don't know. I don't. That's a good question. Know. I don't I have, have my copy with me. Find it. Yeah, hang on, I'll look it up. My copy. But, the, but even like in episode playing. seven, in episode seven, uh, there's the little town that's getting decimated by the blue dragon at the end, and there's like no map of the town or how big is it, how many buildings is it, nothing, like no little sketch or anything. Mm. There is a town on the outskirts of the maze in the big picture, there of. Of Zontal Tower or whatever it is, but there's really no like map of. But yet you're supposed to have this battle, and I mean, not that you need a battle map specifically, but a, just a nice sketch of the town would be helpful, because then you'd at least have something. Mm. Considering there's no other wilderness type map in this book, and no other town type map in this book. That yeah, would I've, be, seen, that would I've nice. seen some critiques uh, similar to that in uh, some of the other adventures as well, like Horde of the Dragon Queen. Uh, I heard some. I've I've seen some people discussing how hey, there's no map for this thing. I made one here. Feel free to use or whatever you know. Yeah, and in this book, they go back to Waterdeep four times for a council, and yet not a word about Waterdeep. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like no map. I'm telling you, my players are going to be like, let's explore the town, and I'm going to have to go get a different and resource to e- figure out even what the hell you even if there's no like real incentive to explore the town or you don't have the kind of party who's going to, you're right. You spend a lot of time in Waterdeep. It's sort of and the base of, of operations for the whole thing. And, yeah. I, and I, I did think the same thing because all these councils are happening in, the, in Castle Waterdeep, right? Uh, and and right. it's like, oh, well, so like, there's no description of – like 
so there's a, a main meeting chamber, and then over here are the antechambers, and you know, lunch is served over well, there, or whatever. Then, like I, then there's then there's tension between the guy who was ousted as the unmasked lord and the new unmasked lord. Hmm. But if you don't know anything about Waterdeep, about the, what the lords the of Waterdeep, yeah. how any of that works, yeah, that means nothing. That means nothing to a reader who doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really don't know that much. I I know a tiny, tiny, tiny bit, which amounts to knowing nothing. Like I don't even know why there should be tension between them other than that one of them feels like power was taken away Mm -hmm. but that's relatively generic of a description because i'm sure there's a lot more political things going on behind that that i just have no concept of yeah i wouldn't i mean they didn't they wouldn't have to necessarily do much they could do like three paragraphs and a little map of water deep Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and the thing is that you know so much of this adventure relies upon the interaction between the factions and the party you would think that that would be Something that they, you know, if there's tension between, because there's several places where they mention like tension between two different members of the the leaders of the factions. It's like that. Those are the types of things my players are going to press on to see who <laughs> can be molded. You know what I mean? And who can be sort of pushed to figure out their real motivations and their true their true motivations. You know, <laughs> it's the kind of thing I mean, my group's like, hey, which one of you guys wants to send us on a quest to kill right. more stuff? <laughs> but here's the thing, like, this book is full of, like, role-playing stuff. And so, while I, as I said in the beginning, I think all the NPCs have really good motivations, really strong motivations laid out. But, you know, they're also asking me to be the DM for 15 NPCs that have different motivations mm-hmm. all at one time. And, like, that's relatively difficult without a little bit more. Does this kind of remind you of the Herald a little bit too? The who? The Herald? Wasn't that? The oh, one this, yeah, yeah, because it's all about collecting up and these armies gathering and, and a big conflict. And and Elminster spends most of his time in the uh, talks, doesn't he? Kind of. I mean, there's no like council or anything, but but it's kind of similar. Yeah, okay. there, there's definitely. I mean, there's this is not. The first or the last big realm-shaking event, wherein you know you gather up massive armies to to, to take on the big bad, right? So yeah, I don't, and know have endless talks. I don't, I don't need yeah. any more realm-shaking events. Well, James, it's funny you say that because uh, the Sundering was supposed to be the realm-shaking event to end all realm-shaking yeah. events, but uh, this feels an awful lot like one here, doesn't it? Uh, this was a Sword Coast shaking event. Yeah, right. This well, is, not this, really. Actually, this is the- part of the Sundering, though. I mean, it's not officially marketed as one of the Sundering adventures, but it mentions in here somewhere. I remember reading that it talks about how you know these are human. You know, these are enormously effective events that are going to change have consequences in the world and in the po- you know in this during the sundering this is right at the tail end of the sundering and that's mm. an important time of change for the world so well, i that, don't think they're necessarily disconnected okay that and that's that's an interesting point because i've been i was trying through both of these books to to figure out sort of where it fits into the timeline mm-hmm. uh and that that helps putting it at the at the end of the sundering which, you know, maybe that's what's making this whole po- return of Tiamat possible or whatever. Well, right. Like, isn't the whole sundering? Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about the sundering, but, you know, isn't it kind of the gods are coming back again and there's another sort of godly struggle? Well, the gods never went anywhere. Well, I mean, uh, but like, they, you know, they're calling back Baal and Baldur's Gate. And, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I mean, it's, now it's the, Tiamat and next the Sundering is basically the two worlds that were mashed together are coming back apart. The time of troubles that was that was what introduced Second Edition uh, introduced this time of chaos, and now it's all sort of settling down again. And and yeah, you're seeing the return of some things and whatever. And all the gods are basically like, hey, something weird's going on. 
we better grab what we can, you know? <laughs> so right. basically the storm so, is thundering. There's a bunch of gods saying, I don't know what's going on, but it's weird. We better get as powerful <laughs> as we can real fast. Yeah. All of a sudden I have to memorize so, spells again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Sam, what I was going to ask you is it seems like, you know, you, you had said your main complaint is you want another like 60 pages. Would you mm-hmm. cut 60 pages from this book or do you just want a thicker book that would cost more money? I wouldn't cut 60 pages. I think the kernel of the little side adventures and the different things, even though, you know, my big complaint is they don't matter. It's easy enough. You know, I, I'm sort of approaching this pretending like I'm not, you know, I I would just want to run it as is, and I never do that. So that that's not actual reality. Yeah. I would make a huge amount of changes, but they would all be little tiny changes, which in the end caused great differences to how this was run. Mm-hmm. Things like what we're talking about with making the masks mm-hmm matter and you know if the if the mask in chapter seven is fake and they suspect their spies on the council well i've got a plan for that i know who the spy is going to be and who they're talking to you know what i'm saying like so i i already would have done that work to do that um but i wouldn't cut things out of here i think that it's it's got a lot of it's got um good bones you know it's i don't don't know that it's a hard question framework would would you pay fifty dollars for it if it had 60 more pages yeah yeah I mean, because no. I mean, sixty <laughs> no, page, sixty pages. I mean, you're talking about taking a ninety page book and turning it into a hundred and fifty page book. Right. That is a significant <laughs> increase. Is, yeah. I think yeah. if, I think if you increased it twenty pages, you know, made it hundred and hundred and twelve, hundred and twenty pages, you could significantly add to the add to the product. Without well, here's what you here's know, add up the, the thing costs a little bit, but not a ton. So so I'll tell you what, make it non hardback, and give me my sixty pages, and I I'd, I'd spend forty bucks for it. I feel like, you know, here's the thing. The Horde of the Dragon Queen, um, it had its flaws, but it felt like at the end we did something massive and we did a complete sort of set of things that really had an effect. Hmm. And they really they really made a difference. Like the things we were doing were weird and cool and there's lots of things going on and we're finding out all these things. And it felt like a kind of complete coherent story. This feels like at the end – Eh, okay, we infiltrated a tower and we stopped a ritual. Yeah, that's going to be my last yeah. question. Does this adventure give you a satisfactory ending? Yeah, you get to fight Tiamat. Yeah. <laughs> right? It, feel, yeah, it, it feels to me like... To stop a ritual. You get to fight a god. It feels to me like there's an awfully good chance you lose against Tiamat. That, that, well, we'll find yeah. out. Won't we, won't we James Introcasto? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we certainly will. <laughs> um... Yeah, well, but I don't know. Again, you know, like so, I'm 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 thinking about what what Sam was just talking about, and I you know, I think he's right. Like, you know, when I think about running through Horde, you know, to me, like the whole culmination of Horde is like if you think about the whole plot that the Cult of the Dragon is is doing to the Sword Coast, you're you're essentially affecting one fifth of it in the first book, and it's sort of like one spire off of a five pointed star, and you're slowly getting inside to the center where the other four are. And once you get into the center, now you've got to stop the other four as well, which is stopping the other worm, the worm, worm callers. What are they called? Speakers. Worm, worm speakers. speakers. So now you've got to go stop the other worm speakers too. And all that's going to do is kind of make the ritual less. Like if you did nothing, Tiamat comes out and she's 30th level, right? And she's going to mm-hmm. kill everybody. If you manage to stop the other four stars, well, she comes out, but she's a lot weaker than she would be normally. Mm-hmm. Like that, that to me is a, a nice big effect. And pretty epic in scale, 
um, and and fits in well with you know both the first and the second of these two adventures. So I and I, and I think the the you know again I think and what James is, is saying is right on. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I was going to add, and is not written into this book, right? Well, right. <laughs> so the, but, but the ending but, as written. If you're asking me about the ending as written, I don't know. It falls so, a little flat. So yeah, five, I, lo- I so like Tiamat, right? But. Yeah, so five paragraphs out of 94 pages doesn't do it for me, but all I have to do is change that, and then I'm totally happy with it. And actually, that's not true. There's probably a bunch of stuff I can change, but... Yeah. yeah there's never been I would, I feel like I would have conclusion to, I'm satisfied with, you know? Yeah, like, there are always I, I, I would have to change... I would have to change so much in every piece of this, whereas, you know, Horde of the Dragon Queen, I felt like... Even if I didn't change the things I was relatively unhappy with, I could still run a really fun adventure that had lots of different weird pieces. Whereas this, I feel like to make it fun, I'd have to change so much and work really hard with all the NPCs and really hard with all the role-playing and really hard with all the pre-planning to get the players to understand how everything is working together. And I don't know if it's worth it. At the end of Horde of the Dragon Queen, James asked me if I would run Horde of the Dragon Queen, and I said... I don't know. I'll have to wait till the second half. And now that I have the second half, the answer is no. If Horde of the Dragon Queen was by itself, I could run that and create a second half on my own and be happy with it. Hmm. So, uh, let me, and it let could me, probably me... incorporate a lot of these different things from here, right. but not the way it's written in this product. Well, so how much of the product itself would be useful for that? Because I, I kind of feel the same way, but for me, it's like 80%, 90% of this I'm going to be able to take. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not for me because my group is just so different. See, no, it, it, would, it would have here, 30% would beat me. Here's what, here's what I'm hearing uh, through this conversation is that um, as a group, it sounds like we like – or at least Sam, it seems like, likes the story of Horde better than, than Rise of Tiamat. But the the individual elements of Rise of Tiamat are more interesting than you know the the specific dungeons, the specific whatever you know well, is, is more interesting I, in this than it was in in Horde. I would say I like the storyline of Horde better. I like the whole story. I see how it hangs together, seeing both of the halves. But for me, the first half, my group would run through that much easier. And in this one, I would have to make so many changes to to get them. You know, to to see how everything works, and to, yeah. I, it's just, here, my my short review of this is it's just not for my group. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I and I guess I can I can see uh, look. You said you can see how the whole thing sort of hangs, and as I think about that, and I think about some of the other things I've heard you guys say, it does occur to me. Um, Horde does that that storyline does sort of get a little long in the tooth, right? I mean, you spend a lot of time just chasing things. And then you yeah. go to this other place to chase him there, and then you go to this other place to chase him there, and whatever. Uh, you could shorten that up significantly, and then add some of those other spirals into the the points of the star that Mike was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tracy, would you run it? Mm, I'm not sure. Probably not. My my big problem with it, it feels like there's too many in like they're not in jokes, but they have the same result. Like, same um, impact on people as in jokes. Like, you're supposed to try to figure out how uh, the various factions would uh, respond to your various decisions. Like, it just gets too... Yeah, I, I love like, like Ray. I said, that's the same. That's the same. My party would just be like, "Well, if you're unhappy with me, screw you. I'll chop your head off. I'm gonna go to the yeah. Royal Dragons." Yeah, my group would just punch people in the face. You know, 
So sorry, Tracy. I didn't mean. To- oh no! <laughs> I interrupted. Sorry. Like, like I like the fact that the that well that you can look into uh, requires the sacrifice of a sentient being to work. Like the, it, the divining. It has- yeah, they said mm. in order. At some point, it says like in order for it to work all the way, it's it's gotten more and more chaotic and. It, it are hungrier. I forget what word mm. they use, but it requires a sacrifice of Ver- Verum thought he was gonna find out where the mask was taken to. Yeah. Is that yeah? Yeah. So that's page forty four, the divination pool. I think. What but but the, the 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 adventure says it's set up for good characters. Mm-hmm. So right, like my players would probably like to delve into some of that stuff sometimes, but you, you've already mm. said that they shouldn't be that way, because that's not a good act. Mm. Right. <laughs> some people would be like, right. well, you can no longer be a good character after you've sacrificed a sentient being just to see what the divination well says. <laughs> well, there's right. there's good right. and there's good. <laughs> <laughs> is there, so is there, you know, is there a, there's not a line on the score sheet for sacrificed slave to divination pool. That would probably be a minus for all the different factions, right? Like, Maybe so that's minuses. the hard part is there's no way for them to easily know what, what decisions they're making through the adventure are going to be the ones that the council is going to care about. Plus, the DM hasn't seen this. If they're running the first adventure, Horde of the Dragon Queen, they don't see the scorecard, even though there are things in that adventure that are on the scorecard. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that kind mm-hmm. of upset me a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess... Um, oh, I, yeah. There's I, something I, interesting about the scorecard, too, which is that that's the kind of thing that looks really good until I actually want to start using it, and then I end up mm-hmm. taking it and throwing it away and just winging it. Yeah. Because trying to, like, I'm not going to sit there, like, filling out an SAT quiz to try to figure out whether or not people like the NPCs or like the PCs or not. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say like, yeah, you've been well, nice to these guys and mean to these guys. So that's how it's going to work out. It, right. It doesn't even matter. Cause there's, there's like 15 <laughs> you're, you're possibilities for pluses in each of these lines for anyway, each faction. Right. And it only like five all the like negatives. It. Yeah. It doesn't take much. You only need six or seven pluses to get them to agree with you. Like, I don't know. It's just, uh, I see what they're trying to do. It's some of it's has, Flashes of brilliance, really, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so there's, a, there's a, honestly there's a lot that I like about Rise, Rise of, of Tiamat. My only real pick, picky bit on here is that I wish the missions mattered more. And and as James pointed out early, like there's some easy fixes for that. Okay, so the maps are real, you know, right. uh, stuff like that. Uh, and so I think you know we were asking around, you know, would you would you run it? I think I would absolutely run it if I wasn't a player, you know, that was planning on being a player in it, right? So mm-hmm. I think I think I'm going to enjoy delving into it. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to run it. And I think that one change is going to make a big difference for mm-hmm. me. And it's going to be it's a pretty small change. Like my original intent before before the show was just removing the masks. Like Severin has them all. You know, and mm. you've got to go do other things. But then it's like, yeah, but now I'm reading through it and there's so many threads that are based on the idea that you're chasing the mask. Mm-hmm. And but the idea that, no, you can go ahead and get it, you know, that that I think adds a whole new interesting dimension to, mm-hmm. you know, and that idea of like, yeah, you've got it. What are you going to do with it? You know, you can either bury it, destroy it or bring it with you, <laughs> you know, and all of those have consequences. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great decision to make. I kind of wish that some of it, instead of like having that matchup of resources and then have the DM try to figure out what that actually means, uh, instead just have like parts of the end um, 
encounter area, dungeon map, or whatever, like, just suddenly, like, you no longer have to worry about this trap because it was tied to the, um, uh, to, to, the, like, to the, the fact that you have the Zents on your side. Is that what yeah. you Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, you could easily have it where, like, yeah, there were these guys, you know, like, you know, my, my big joke that that if uh, James is mean to me when I'm running Tiamat, that Tiamat's <laughs> new breath weapon is going to be breathing assassins. Right? <laughs> and, and, you know, it could be like that. Like, you know, when Tiamat comes out, there's a whole bunch of assassins hidden around the room, unless the Zens are your friends, in which case all those assassins have been killed. Mm. Right. You know, so there's a whole bunch of effects mm-hmm. that could affect the final battle. Right. That are all, I think you can all, make you know. those tweaks. Yeah, right. And that that would be... I think something else that we If only is. when DMs were running it, they had a good panel of co-DMs or, or fellow DMs to get together and, and chew out ideas on, on these kinds of things. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, <laughs> listen to the Tome show before you run it. Oh, or go over to behind the DM screen and listen <laughs> to that. Right. <laughs> but see, that's, that's part of my problem with it, though, is when I buy a published adventure, it's because I don't want to have to spend time figuring out the workarounds. How often yeah. has that happened for you? Because I've never like yeah. I, I've had adventures that I love, right. and I've always, always mm-hmm. modified them. Yeah. Well, making a slight modification though is not fixing a humongous hole in what's, what's how everything works. Hole? That my players would just go directly to the Well of Dragons and say, "Screw the Council! You, you don't agree with me? You don't want to devote resources? Well, you're on your own. We're going to go try to do something about well, this so problem." And, and here's the thing: if your players do that. Right, and mm-hmm. then Tiamat's going to win, and then you can't use the next adventure in the series because right, Tiamat. yeah. So you know, it's, <laughs> you just, you right? just fork, fork the world. Um, <laughs> that was. That was I mean, so as I said, you know, me as actually running my game, you know, I run my game in my own homebrew world. I don't do it in Forgotten Realms, so I would be making tweaks and everything anyway. But right. I'm trying to review this from the standpoint of somebody who says, "Awesome, I want to run this new fifth edition game. I have experience previously, but I haven't DM'd in a while. I'm going to pick up this really awesome, you know, two volume adventure and run my players right from first level to fifteenth level, and you know." I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm being un- so, maybe I'm well, being unfair. So, so, yeah, but I, mean, I just for, I the way my I'm group not... works, it just wouldn't work, you know. Right. Like I get you, you. You and I have the same. I mean, we would have the same issue. Like if my group found out that the Well of Dragons is where they're going to summon team at, he's like, "Well, why don't we just go there and kick their ass?" Right? Like, why wait? But if if it's pretty clear to them early on, like. You know, these masks are directly tied to how strong Tiamat is, and the masks are kind of all over the place, and you're way better off hunting the masks down. They'll get the idea, like, okay, I guess that's what we have to do, which would suck if you can never actually get the masks. But the minute you say, yeah, you can get the masks, then that that makes perfect sense, and it all kind of comes together. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, it doesn't feel like it would be a very big change. I think we're we're a good uh, hour and three minutes into this conversation, and I have a half-hour interview to tag on. Well, that's going to get tagged onto as well. I'm not doing it. You need to get better control of your show. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's time for final thoughts. Final thoughts, James. Cool. So my final thought would be that I definitely I'm with Mike. I've never run an adventure verbatim, um, you know, and I think that this is actually a really well put together adventure for you to check out and pick apart. And, you know, if you can make things matter a little bit more with a few tweaks, you're you're good to go. If your players do want to go directly to the Well of Dragons, make it clear that there are lots of dragons and they need the help of the army (laughs) that they're trying to to build before they do that. Um, So, uh, but yeah, but I I would say for me, it's a really, it looks like it's a really fun romp and it ends with you fighting Tiamat, who is a 
Bad Mofo. So check it out. <laughs> I have it on some authority. You can blame Rodney Thompson for how bad of a mofo Tiamat is. Oh, really? Uh-huh. I'll have to ask him about that. Uh, I'll, have, I'll have to get tips. Yeah, there you go. Tracy, <laughs> final thoughts. Uh, so while I did say that I wouldn't necessarily run the adventure, I still like reading it and would still uh, potentially buy it so, so that I could uh, see how people are doing adventures. And I think they put a lot of thought mm-hmm. into that aspect of it. And I think it's worth it for that. Very good. Uh, final thought, Sam. I feel like it's well written for what it tries to do. And it does some things very, very well. It's just really not for my group. And you asked me something about it costing $50, but here's the thing. Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat together cost 60 mm-hmm. So you asked me if I would buy it, and I said no. Well, actually, I did, right? I bought both <laughs> volumes, which cost me 60 bucks. So I, I think I might be being a little harsh, but because it's just really not for my group, for either one of my groups, actually, n- neither one of them would actually run through this very well. Um, then maybe I'm not being so harsh. I don't know. I, I never run anything without tweaking it a little bit, but this would need so much tweaking, I might as well make my own. Okay, final thought. Mike, so one, I, la- I think one last a- chance to change Sam's mind. Yeah, I, I think that's going to happen. <laughs> so um, I think it's a, a good book, and when I think about this as sort of the, the intro, full-scope, mega-adventure for 5th edition, I think it's a pretty strong one. Uh, I like, I, you know, I always love an adventure that has a really clean and clear storyline, which is stop Tiamat from coming to the mortal world, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's a nice, clean plot, and then everything else are just offshoots of that plot. Um, I like the sort of open-natured, forked storyline that it's got. Uh, I love that you actually get to fight Tiamat at the end, because I think it would suck if it's like the whole adventure, you get to close the portal. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing happens. Uh, so I, the idea that she comes out, the idea that they put in scaling for her so that she's not, you know, she's might be actually beatable at 16th level is nice. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it's, I think it's pretty solid and, uh, I, I think it has problems. I, 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 you know, first and foremost is this MacGuffin issue, which, you know, I've seen in other Watsi adventures and I see it in this one too, the whole, the whole mask thing and, and the, the, the thing that we saw in Dragon Spear. But uh, again, thanks to James Intercasto, I think that's an easy, that's an easy fix, and uh, I'm really looking forward to running it. And I can't wait to hear that interview. <laughs> he's, he's actually what it's been very interesting because he's they were pretty open at the Gen Con mm-hmm. about you know at, at the Gen Con at the Gen Con talk about where they and you know Watsi and and their team disagreed and and what the results of that were, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, some of them were really interesting, and some of them I think had a big effect. So, I'm, I'm did is he as open? Uh, I felt like he was pretty open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there wasn't anything where he like avoided the question, right? Um, you know, I, I mostly, um, I think my big sort of concern, critique, question was why is this a, a linear story laid out like a sandbox adventure? Yeah, uh, and, and he addressed that very, very sort of clearly and, and yeah, yeah, and succinctly. So, and I, I think they, you know. It, it was pretty good that they managed to get an adventure out that feels as solid as this when the edition was sliding under their feet the entire time they were writing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with that. Like, if, and, you know, if you think about the first nine adventures that came out for fourth edition, oh. right? Do you guys remember that? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, the whole... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I ran all of them, right? I ran oh, them all the way it through. It starts with Keep the Shadowfell, mm-hmm. right? Keep the Shadowfell yep. all the way through to uh, Prince of Undeath. And I liked them. Like, I, you know, like, but... I, I like them because they gave me the scaffold I needed to run a cool campaign. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel the same way with this. Like, you know, my game won't be anything like anyone else's game, except that they'll be stopping Tiamat from coming back to destroy the Sword Coast. Mm-hmm. In the interview, it was interesting to hear um, – there was talk about how Wolfgang um, wrote huge chunks of this book and then in the editing process, almost everything Wolfgang wrote ended up being taken out. It was wow, it was really? some of the extra stuff that wasn't necessary for the story and so a lot of it got cut, got cut out. And, and and Steve almost sort of implied that you know Wolfgang probably should have should have had his name on on the cover and was surprised when when he saw the image and it wasn't there and then talked to Wolf about it and Wolf said, "Yeah, I told him to take it off cuz none of my stuff is there anymore." Really? So yeah. Huh. That's but, but, all the stuff I would have right, liked. But yeah, that, there's that extra 60 pages that Sam wants. It sounds like there was a good 60 pages of, the, of Wolfgang Bauer work that was just pulled out. So where is his name out. missing? On the front cover. It's, it's no names are on the front cover. Uh, there's I, guess, no, I guess on, on the, the, on the it's title on page. It's on the title page. Yeah. It says Steve Winter and Alexander Winter. Oh, yeah, okay. But but he's credited as a developer and producer. Yeah. Yes. That's different from designer, yeah, yeah, though. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. At this point, you know, Wolfgang doesn't care Man, about that. And that artwork so is so great. great. Look at that cover. <laughs> I do like I, I do like the covers and the half pages. I still don't like the people portraits, but you know whatever. That's All right, Woo. right on. And my final thoughts, uh, and and we've sort of discussed this already. Uh, make the missions matter, and then I think this is the superior tyranny of dragons adventure. Um, I like the fact that as an inaugural fifth edition adventure uh, or, or adventure series, um, they're willing to break format to some degree. You know, they're not sticking to to the tried and true formula, uh, and they're doing something a little more experimental with these both of these adventures um, right from the get go, which I think is is making a, a strong statement of um, we're not going to rest on what's worked. We're going to continue to try to innovate. Uh, and I appreciate that coming from from Watsi, and I and I, and they've been doing that through the you know a lot of the the uh, pre inaugural fifth edition adventures. You know, Murder in Baldur's Gate and Dragonspear Castle all tried to do, uh, in some cases, some fairly interesting and innovative things, um, and and some of them worked better than others in terms of format and what have you. And I but I appreciate that they're still trying to reach towards this goal of being able to to write adventures in a different way. Uh, so, my final thoughts. And now, off to Jeff, who's managed to corner Steve Winter, one of the authors, for an interview. I am here now with Stephen Winter, the author, or one of the authors, of The Rise of Tiamat. Welcome back, Steve. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. So, speaking of authors, uh, the previous book, Horde of the Dragon Queen, you worked on with Wolfgang Bauer. Yes. This time there's no Wolfgang, but there's this mysterious Alexander Winter. And I assume that's not Alex Winter from Bill and Ted and the Lost Boys. <laughs> no, different Alex Winter. Okay. Is this Alex Winter a relative of yours by chance? Uh, yeah, that's Alexander is my son. Okay. Um, we actually we worked together previously on uh, Murder in Baldur's Gate. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, uh, when we needed, when we got around to the second book, we needed, uh, you know, time was tight and we needed um, a third writer, so uh, we brought him in again. Um, and I should say, Wolf wrote some significant portions of The Rise of Tiamat. Um, some, I mean, he wrote uh, several chapters. Uh, unfortunately, when the whole thing was done, uh, we had more material than would fit in the book. And when it came time to decide, well, what, 
what can we live without the most easily? Uh, unfortunately, Wolf's chapters all tended to fall into the hmm. these be cut section. So there's there's not a lot of what Wolf wrote left in the book. Um, and in fact, there's enough that he felt like he should take his name off the credits. Um, I I was surprised when you know I saw the book and his name wasn't in there anymore. Uh, Interesting, because he does deserve, I think, you know, a fair amount of credit um, for. Uh, I mean, he had a lot of input in outlining the story and setting up what the chapters were going to be, and he did do a lot of writing. Unfortunately, as I said, his his actual sitting at the keyboard and and writing stuff, uh, not a lot of that made it into the book. Yeah, and I imagine uh, on a collaborative project product like this that uh, even when it's your chapter that you're still bouncing ideas off of the other writers and, and things. Yeah, absolutely. Every, everything is give and take. You know, everybody has a little fingers a little bit in everything. So, but that uh, means that there are whole chapters of Wolfgang Bauer written material for this adventure that maybe we could see as a web enhancement. <laughs> I, someone else mentioned that as well on the web. I, I think that would be great. Um, but I have no idea what what the plans are uh, for that material, if any. Well, if if anybody happens to be listening to this and knows anybody at Wizards of the Coast, maybe they should float that idea around. Right. I mean, that's all. Belongs <laughs> to Wizards, so right. it's up to them to do what they want. Absolutely. All right, so we're talking about rise of the rise of Tiamat, which is the sequel. Uh, follow up, whatever to Horde of the Dragon Queen. It's the inaugural uh, fifth edition D and D adventures. So, uh, just sort of in a nutshell, your take: What is Rise of Tiamat? Um, well, it's. I mean, obviously, it's the sequel to Horde of the Dragon Queen, but it is. It's a very different adventure from what Horde of the Dragon Queen was. Um, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to make this sound like I'm defining it by telling you what it's not. But it's, <laughs> it's easier to to kind of start at the beginning. So Horde. One of the fundamental ideas in in Horde of the Dragon Queen in the first half was that the adventurers are just starting out. They're low to mid level. They're not very well known, um, and uh, and that works in their favor in that adventure, right? Because they're trying to infiltrate the cult they're trying to you know unravel the cult's web of intrigue right and and figure figure out what's going on so so being a relative unknown is helpful in that situation when we get to um the rise of tiamat by that point the the characters have become heroes right they've done some major things um they've established a name for themselves they have reputations they are known heroes. Um, so the whole, you know, skulking around and infiltrating kind of thing doesn't really work anymore. And at this point, they have you know, other movers and shakers in the Forgotten Realms listening to them and coming to them with problems and advice. And you know, you know, so it, it has a, there's a much more grand heroic scope to the rise of Tiamat than what people saw in Horde of the Dragon Queen. Yeah, and it certainly seems to give um, a lot more responsibility, I guess, to the players. Uh, or at least, like you mentioned, you know, the, the NPCs, the important people in the world, want to know their thoughts and opinions, and, and they're playing a role in sort of 
shaping what's happening, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's the old, you know, with great power comes great response. They're no longer caught up in machinations beyond their ken, right? They're they're helping make those machinations. Oh, what the cult is up to, and it's a question of, you know, how do we stop it? Yeah. So what what do you feel like, I mean, outside of story, what do you feel like makes this adventure sort of innovative or different than what people may have seen before? Um, I think the, the two unique aspects to it are the Council of Waterdeep and the way that interacts with the big climactic scene of the adventure. Um, you know, the... the uh, Everything that the characters do um, has ramifications on the way the rest of the Forgotten Realms reacts to this threat, right? This is unlike a lot of adventures where the threat is hidden and only a handful of people know about it. Um, in, in The Rise of Tiamat, the, the cult has made its intentions pretty clear across the Sword Coast, Right? Everyone who lives on the Sword Coast has seen dragons. They've seen flames from towns burning on the horizon uh, if they haven't been burned out and and looted themselves. So uh, there's no secret anymore about it. Um, And the the threat is so huge that the heroes need to assemble a, a powerful force to oppose it. It's not just let's, you know, you and me and our two friends go sneak into the cult stronghold and we'll cut a few throats and problem solved, right? Mm-hmm. Um, isn't going to work in this situation. They need to uh, they need to have an army behind them when they go to confront the cult. Um, now, there's still going to be some of that commando-type stuff going on in the, in the finale, um, but without an army there to keep the to keep the cult occupied, the commandos have no chance to succeed. Um, and so everything they do on along that road is going to have ramifications because you know certain certain power groups on the Sword Coast want to see this dealt with one way, and other groups want to see it dealt with another way. And so if you do it one way, you're going to please one group, and you're going to annoy another one. Um, and they they need to balance. You know, there's a political thing going on here where. Uh, it's not enough just to go out and, and kick ass. You know, you, you've got to you've got to keep certain powers that be on your side. Very good, very good. Now you mentioned the whole Council of Waterdeep and the way that uh, interacts with the the, the adventure, um, and it's interesting that you talk about that because the next thing I wanted to ask about was. How do you describe the format of this adventure? Like typically, we we talk about adventures being more sandbox or more linear, um, and this is a book that feels like the adventure. I mean, it, it feels sandboxy, but from a top-down view, looks a little bit more linear. So I'm just kind of curious how you uh, describe it. Um, I would definitely describe it as more sandboxy than linear, but um, there's a little bit of history there. When we wrote it, um, according to the original outline, it was very open-ended. It was essentially, we presented, you know, here are uh, these episodes that that you can string, you as the DM can string together in any order you want, 
in order to get characters from the initial Council of Waterdeep to the climactic battle against the Cult of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, but in playtesting, uh, the feedback from playtesters was that some of them loved that, but some people felt kind of overwhelmed by it. Mm. So at that point, we went back, um, you know, actually Mike Merles and uh, uh, Jeffrey uh, uh, and some other people at uh, Wizards gave us really excellent feedback on these lines, um, you know, because they were the ones who received the playtest feedback and they sort of digested it and analyzed it. And so essentially we went back in at that point and we imposed more structure Mm -hmm. on the episodes and said, you know, this is probably the ideal order in which to present them. It's not the only order in which to present them. And, uh, you know, there are multiple ways to approach this. You can either, um, it it really all comes down to what the DM and the players are comfortable with, Mm. right? If, If the DM wants to just take a very, uh, a very, I don't want to say linear, but a very episodic approach to it and only give players one or maybe two adventure hooks at a time so that, you know, the, somebody from the council comes and, and dangles one clue in front of them and says, here's a situation, we really need you to go deal with it, right? Um, like the whole, uh, I mean, the Arathator episode, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like, oh, we're this, this, a very important wizard who has information we need is missing. We need you to go track her down. We think she's up north somewhere. That's the only thing they have in front of them. So most, in most cases, players are going to go tackle that one, right? On the other hand, a DM who's comfortable with more chaos can, you know, throw a bunch of hooks out there, can have, you know, people from the council or informants or spies or whoever can feed players half a dozen hooks and they can sift through them and pursue them in whatever, in whatever order they want. Um, so it, and, and I believe we, we pretty much covered both approaches in the, in the book, but we presented the, uh, we presented the episodes and kind of structured uh, the council of Waterdeep scoring sheet in a, on the assumption that they would be played in a certain order. Mm-hmm. So a DM who tackles it in a different order or a group of players who, who you know, go off on their own and, and tackle it in a different order or tackle completely different episodes that the DM comes up with, um, they'll have a little more work to do in making it work. Mm-hmm. But um, And I've seen people comment on that online, and I have to say that you know, uh, I've run quite a few canned adventures in the past, but far and away the best ones are the ones where we went way off script <laughs> and and by the end of it felt like we had really taken this prepackaged adventure and turned it into our own thing right i mean we knew that no one else had gone through that adventure in quite the way we had and and that's really the experience that we want people to have with this we want them we want dms and players to take this adventure and make it their own and not feel like they have to play things in a certain order or tackle only the things that are on the page. Very good. So uh, on the, on the one hand, that's really interesting and innovative and you, and you can, you can under, 
be- I, I guess I can better understand sort of the formatting when I hear the story of how that developed, right? It started off more sandboxy, and then they, the structure was added in, and I can now see sort of why things play out and, and are formatted the way they are, and that's, that's interesting. That is a fairly different sort of adventure for somebody to be running, Um so I'm curious, do you have any advice for any DMs who may not be used to running that sort of adventure? What kind of things should they look for? What kind of things should they, they, should they try to do uh, in order to really get the, the most out of this adventure? I think that it's crucial for a DM running in any adventure like this, but probably particularly this one. Um, this is not an adventure that you can just sit down and read the first couple of pages and then dive into <laughs> Um, the DM really needs to understand the the structure that that it is you know that they have in their hands and uh, and understand the story. They don't need to you know memorize each of the episodes and know all the details of the episodes in advance. Um, but they they really need to know what the Council of Waterdeep is about and what the cult is trying to bring about and how the finale works so that they can, you know, because as things, as the adventure moves along, the DM is going to be constantly having to think about what, what effect is this going to have when we get to the finale? Um, and, and how is the cult going to react? Because, you know, there's a whole chapter in there on, um, how the because the cult isn't just sitting around and waiting for the the heroes to come and attack them. They're counterattacking, um, and and that's probably one of the most open-ended chapters in the book. We we give I think three or four um, kind of prepackaged counterattacks mm-hmm. that cult launches against the heroes, but they're very open-ended, uh, and that was by necessity. Um, I, I've seen a few, I don't want to call them complaints, but I know people have raised questions online about how are we supposed to use this chapter. Um, and the problem we faced when we were writing that was we have no idea from uh, campaign to campaign where the heroes are going to be based. You know, we don't know, are they going to be in Waterdeep? Are they in Daggerford? Are, are they somewhere else entirely? Are they holed up in a castle? Are they living in rented rooms in an inn somewhere? Are they living in you know a cave out in the wilderness? I mean, all of these things are are probable when you take in the the all the campaigns that are going on, and uh, so we necessarily had to leave huge amounts of that uh, at the DM's discretion in terms of how to implement these counterattacks. And I suppose there's also some. Um, I mean. If they go to the to the the north, right, with the white dragon, um, and are not particularly successful in that bit, right, then then they may not have actually garnered much attention from the cult quite yet. You know, right. so it doesn't make sense to just automatically throw in these uh, counterattacks at certain times unless you know just sort of at what point the the PCs have really gotten the attention of the cult. Right, I'm sure that there are groups out there that will. Sneak into Arathator's lair and and spirit away the you know the wizard they came to rescue mm. uh, without anyone being any the wiser. It might be weeks before Arathator even realizes she's gone, right? Or they can go in there, guns blazing, and and uh, kill everyone and and seriously wound Arathator and 
and uh, create all sorts of ripples across the north. Um, so again, it, it's uh, the only way a DM is going to be able to deal with all those different outcomes is to have a good idea of how the cult is going to react, right? And it, it it's, I mean, this is where role-playing, I think, really comes to the fore. Uh, we're not telling the DM, we're not giving the DM a big menu uh, of options and saying, if A happens, then the cult uses reaction one, and if B happens, they use reaction two. We really want, uh, you know, we want the DM to get into the mindset of Resmir and react the way the cult would, right? Mm -hmm. Just think about the situation and say, all right, here's here's what a psychopath like Resmir would do in this situation. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the kind of counter strike he would order, uh, and and just go for it, right? I mean, the, this is such a big story that there's almost nothing that falls outside its scope, right? Uh, just about anything the DM thinks up can probably be worked in here as a as a legitimate response on the part of the cult. Very good. So you also worked, obviously, on Horde of the Dragon Queen. Um, and and we, we talked uh, when that book was coming out, or shortly after that book came out, uh, we talked about it. Um, and you talked about some of the, the difficulties, I guess, of um, creating an adventure for a rule set that hadn't been baked yet. You know, it was still changing and, and all that. Um, so what did we, what did you learn from designing Horde of the Dragon Queen that was helpful when you designed Rise of Tiamat? <laughs> well, um, the, the biggest, the, the number one question that sort of hung over everything on both books was, um, that there, none of the monsters in the monster manual had had, um, challenge ratings assigned to them yet. So uh, trying to do any sort of fine balancing on encounters was simply impossible. Um, we could, we felt like we could get close, right? I mean, uh, Wolf and, and Alexander and I are all three pretty experienced DMs. So, um, you know, we have a, a pretty good eye for looking at monsters and, and judging how tough they are um, and judging how tough an encounter is going to be. And, and if, when you read through the book, you'll see there are, um, we did not shy away from overpowering encounters in this book. There are, there are a few situations characters can get into where they'll find themselves in really serious trouble. Uh, now we tried to, we tried to arrange those so that characters who are, or players who are on their toes and being careful won't get into those situations. Um, people who, who like to kick open doors and, and charge in blindly may find themselves in, in uh, really, really uh, deep stuff at some point. Um, but, uh, so I guess the biggest advantage we had was we just, we had a lot more, a much better feel for what was in the monster manual when we got around to doing uh, the rise of Tiamat, right? We had we had more experience at playing with those numbers and uh, uh, seeing how it, seeing how things fit together. But of course, designing an adventure for high level play is just it's a whole different it's a whole different kettle of fish than mm -hmm. working with characters that who are eighth level or or below, um, because 
there's there's just no telling how powerful a group of five characters is going to be. You can you have a pretty good idea of the average, but you know it's entirely possible that that you know that, that there's a much just a much broader range, and what one group of characters will will walk through without any difficulty might be a near TPK for another party. As opposed to the uh, the. Ad- Opening at Green Ast in Horde of the Dragon Queen, where it's you know everybody dies, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly what they can't handle at first level. <laughs> yeah, very good. So, uh, Rise of Tiamat in the the uh, mind of Stephen Winter, uh, what's the best part? You know, best encounter, best location. What's the best part of Rise of Tiamat? <laughs> um. I'm really fond of the uh, of Arathator's lair up in Oyavigatan. Uh, that's, that's how you pronounce that, okay? Yeah, well, that's how <laughs> I have. It's a made-up word, right? right. <laughs> you can pronounce it however you want. I pronounce it Oyavigatan. Um, I I had a huge amount of fun writing that section, um, so uh, I hope people enjoy playing it. Okay. Uh, it, it, I mean, it has a lot of elements that I, um, it has a lot of elements that I really enjoy, like, you know, a downtrodden populace, right? Uh, uh, people yearning to be free. <laughs> <laughs> it's got single combat and uh, dungeon crawling and a dragon. Yep, and a dragon, um, and the ice toads, which you know, when I was looking yeah. around, some sort of a servant race for a white dragon. You know that can survive easily in inside an iceberg, and uh, uh, a lot of things I'd had my eye on in the monster manual at that point we found out were were not going to be in the monster manual anymore. Um, but and so I really had my fingers crossed <laughs> that ice toads were going to survive the fun cut, and and uh, we got to we got to keep the ice toads. So the so ice toads were not your creation, huh? No, no, they were they were in. The draft of the monster manual, the original draft of the monster mm. manual. See, I um, guess I, ne- I, I never noticed that there were intelligent ice toads in there. Yeah, see, that was the thing. When as I was looking for you know creatures that lived in cold, and I saw that that ice toads were like surprisingly intelligent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, that's what makes yeah. them interesting, right? You don't expect a, a giant toad to be, to, be in, to be intelligent. Attic toads, you know, who'd have thunk it? And so, as far, I don't think they're in the monster manual, but. Um, they were, you know, when they were cut, we were told that we could keep them because they were, you know, they were so cool. The, the people at Wizards liked them too. Very good. Uh, and so, uh, similar question: best NPC in Rise of Tiamat because you spend a lot of time detailing NPCs. Oh, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you have a you have a lot of big names from uh, the. Uh, from the Sword Coast to begin with, right? From the uh, Forgotten Realms lore, um, some of them are great. I, I would say probably the one I had the most fun writing about and and working into uh, the adventure was, uh, and I and I forget the name now, but it's the the uh, uh, the people that the characters can deal with when they go to. Um, uh, now the name is escaping me. Um, the Empire of the Dead over in the east. Oh, Thay? 
Yes, when they when they head over to Thay and they deal with some of those really nasty characters. <laughs> um, you know, it's a very diplomatic kind of mission. It, it's not, again, that's one that I would love to hear play reports from campaigns and find out how that episode goes, because I think, you know, people who know the Forgotten Realms are going to be extremely leery about going to Thay. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a very you know, Clark Ashton Smith kind of uh, vibe to that episode that I, I enjoyed. Um, and the, the NPCs they deal with there are just so creepy. Uh, you know, they, they don't, no one gets particularly threatened, right? <laughs> but there it's the, the, the ick factor in that section is very high. So I enjoyed that. Very a lot. Good. Well, that's a much more interesting answer than I, than what I thought would be the easy answer of, well, I did get to make a level 30 Tiamat, so that's my favorite, right? <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, we didn't uh, create the level 30 Tiamat. Oh, yeah? That was, uh, that's the work of Rodney Thompson, that oh, wizard. Oh, Rodney, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I loved what Rodney did with Tiamat. I thought that, uh, you know, she was, she was outstanding. Um, we got, you know, very interesting notes from Rodney on how to implement it, because clearly, um, you know, no group of, of level 15 characters can stand up to, to that Tiamat if she's fully manifested mm-hmm. uh, in the realms. Um, the key is obviously to, to defeat her before to she... not let that happen, right? Yeah, exactly. If, if it gets to that point, it's, you know, game over. Right. Bought the farm. Very good. Well, anything else you want people to know about Rise of Tiamat? No. Well, as I said, I think that they, they need to... Uh, People need to tackle it as a living world. You know, not uh, DMs and players should not think of it, you know, as a as a script that needs to be followed. Right? That I think that they will have their greatest experience with it if they approach it as these are events that are happening in the Forgotten Realms, and our job is to try and live through it and and stop it if we can. Right? Uh, there's I mean, the, the risk is immense. I have read online several comments from uh, people who were seemed to be surprised that we included, uh, you know, a, a decent section on what happens if what happens if the cult wins, mm. <laughs> because it's a it's a very distinct possibility in this adventure. Sure, that, uh, the cult could could achieve all of its aims here. Well, and it certainly wouldn't be the first time that Tiamat was in the realms, right? Nope, nope. And, and even even if the cult loses, even if the heroes accomplish everything they set out to, to accomplish, it's they they still have the aftermath of you know enormous destruction in the, the uh, along the Sword Coast. There's you know tremendous amount of upheaval that needs to be sorted out. So their work is not done. You know, we couldn't include a a uh, you know kind of scouring of the Shire kind of yeah. <laughs> chap at the end. Um, but there's plenty for the DM to work with, whether the characters win or lose. There's a there's a whole other campaign waiting to happen after this one. Very good. Well, thank you for joining us again. Uh, we hope to talk to you again in the future, and uh, I hope people enjoy hearing from you about Rise of Tiamat. Yes, I, I would love to hear people's reports on how it goes. And that's the end of the episode. 
In the spirit of Thanksgiving, I would like to say my thanks to the various people who helped with this episode, including James Intercaso. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me at the official headquarters of Team Flumpf, uh, which is worldbuilderblog.me or Twitter at my name, James Intercaso. Nice. And our editor, Sam Dillon? Uh, you can find me at RPG Musings. Dot com. There you go. And the Sly Flourish, Mike Shea, where can people find you? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? Yeah, uh, slyflourish.com and twitter.com slash slyflourish. Great. And we'd also like to thank all of you listeners for helping support the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon or D&D Classics and also just for listening. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the Tomes Biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can find show notes for this show and other great Tome Show shows like The Roundtable or Behind the DM Screen over at thetomeshow.com. And that is episode 244, where it was better to serve a dragon queen than be your lunch, while reviewing Rise of Tiamat in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm not a